To some, the sound might be familiar. It's from the movie The Purge, a media franchise centered on a series of dystopian action horror. The movies are produced by Bloomhouse Productions and written by James DeMonaco. The films present a crime-free America, done so by celebrating an annual national holiday called The Purge. When the sound rings, A 12-hour period from 7pm to 7am starts where all crime, from theft to murder, becomes decriminalised. That's right, do whatever you want and not be punished for it. Those who want to take part arm themselves and go out once the sound alarms. Those who don't, they must hide away, lock themselves down until the second alarm sounds ending the purge. Good idea for a movie, the story usually involves those hiding, keeping safe and fighting the outsiders. But what if I told you the idea, the purge, wasn't just a movie, and didn't last 12 hours, but two years. A purge that had people killed for not agreeing, not complying, or not having the right origins. This is the story of the Great Terror also known as the Great Purge, and this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. The Great Terror, also called the Great Purge, was Soviet General Secretary Joseph Stalin's campaign to strengthen his power. The purges were designed to remove any remaining influence or supporters of Russian-Ukrainian Marxist revolutionary Leon Trotsky. This would happen from August 1936 until March 1938. The spark to this happened in 1924. After the death of Vladimir Lenin, this opened a powerful position in the Communist Party. Many tried for the position, but the ultimately it was Joseph Stalin who got the power and control of the Communist Party by 1928. At first he was accepted, but by early 1930s, faith in his leadership waned after the Soviet famine and little success in the first five-year plan. These failures had rivals including Leon Trotsky trying to sway the party away from Stalin's command. The spark to this happened in 1924, after the death of Vladimir Lenin. This opened a powerful position in the Communist Party. Many tried for the position, but ultimately it was Joseph Stalin who got the power and control of the Communist Party by 1928. At first he was accepted, but by early 1930s, faith in his leadership waned after the Soviet famine and little success in the first five-year plan. These failures had rivals including Leon Trotsky trying to sway the party away from Stalin's command. High tensions of doubt and suspicion grew, bursting in 1934, when high-ranking Sergei Kovo was assassinated. His death had investigations which revealed a group of party members going against Stalin, including many of his rivals. These findings came from those arrested in Kovo's assassination, who apparently confessed to plans to kill Stalin. Now, historians questioned if these were true or just an excuse for the aftermath, but in 
But they do agree Corvo's death was the spark to ignite Stalin and the party to start the terror or the purge. So by 1936, Stalin's paranoia was out of control. He feared losing his power and position. He feared the return of Trotsky and the rising threat of fascism. With all this, he gave the go-ahead for the Great Terror. These were carried out by the NKVD, or the People's Communists for Internal Affairs, the secret police of the USSR. The first part targeted the Soviet government, NKVD, started removing Central Party leaders. They also removed old Bolshevik government officials and regional party bosses. As it grew, the terror expanded to the Red Army, which had horrific effects on the military altogether. Trials were done in Moscow, and they removed most of the old Bolsheviks and any who challenged Stalin's power. The terror would grow and grow, soon impacting civilian life. NKVD would target ethnic minorities like the Volga Germans. The NKVD would imprison, torture and execute to control true fear. So let's go back. The purge or terror began in the Red Army. Techniques were quickly developed and adapted to the terrors in other sectors. Most public attention was of the purge of the Communist Party and government leaders. The campaign, as it was called, also affected intelligentsia, peasants and professionals. The minority groups were often accused of being fifth column, a group who undermined a larger group from within. Many purges or terrors would be explained away as elimination of possible sabotage Often with connections to the Polish military organization, so many victims were Soviet citizens with Polish origins. Hundreds of thousands were accused of political crimes like wrecking, sabotage, conspiracies, uprising and coups. From this they were executed on the spot or sent to the Gulag labor camps. Those in the camps died of starvation, disease, exhaustion and exposure. Some victims were used in experiments. In Moscow, gas fans were used to purge and others were taken to the Butofo firing range. The purge peaked September 1936 and August 1938 and campaigns were carried out often by direct orders of the Politburo which was headed by Stalin. 1930 onwards, social disorder was a huge fear of the party and, pol and police. The threat of the war heightened suspicion of an uprising in case of invasion. Nazi Germany would forge documents and spread false information to incriminate innocent Soviet citizens. This added fuel to the suspicion of Inferno. Stalin began to plan for the elimination of these potential wreckers, terrorists and spies. Purge would be political at first, removing or purging party ranks. An example would be the expelling of 400,000 from the party. But 1936-1953, the term purge was known to arrest, imprison and many times execute. 
The political purge was mainly for Stalin's gain to eliminate any challenges past and future, including the left and right-wing leaders Leon Trotsky and Nikolai Bukharin. After the Civil War, mid-1920s, reconstruction of the Soviet economy had veteran Bolsheviks no longer seeing the need of routine dictatorship, which had been given to Stalin from Lenin. Stalin's opponents would see him undemocratic and laxed. This opposition may have gathered support amongst the working class by attacking benefits the state gave to the elite, the rich, the wealthy. A last attempt to oppose Stalin would be called the Reitigen affair, but all this did was strengthen Stalin's suspicions. Martin Reitigen, a Russian Marxist activist, was working with a huge secret opposition bloc, a political alliance created to oppose USSR and had Leon Trotsky and Gregory Zenovin involved. Stalin's next move was to ban factions and banned members who opposed him, so ending democratic centralizationism. The new Politburo, mainly Stalin, now were the sole dispensers of ideology. This would mean all Marxists eliminated, especially those of the old guard of revolutionaries. When the purge started, the government through NKVD shot Bolshevik heroes and the majority of Lenin's Politburo. NKVD attacked supporters, friends and family of these, Russian or not. Trotsky's family was nearly wiped out by NKVD. In 1934, using Sergei Karbov murder, Stalin launched the Great Purge. Years later, historians would believe that Stalin arranged Kiev's murder, or at least knew enough about it to suggest he agreed with it. Kiev was a diehard fan of Stalin, but Kiev would become popular amongst moderns, having Stalin fear him as a rival. In 1934, the party congress elected Kiev to the Central Committee with just three votes against him, while Stalin had 292 against him. The NKVD charged the oppositionists with Kiev's assassination and offences like treason, terrorism, sabotage and espionage. The possibility of fifth column in case of war was another reason for the purge. Vakishlav Molotov and Lazar Kagnarkovich, members of the Politburo, believed in the reasoning of the fifth column and were known to have signed many, many death lists. Stalin felt war was coming with threats from a hostile Germany and the ever-expanding Japan. The Soviet press would give the appearance of a country threatened within by fascist spies. The October Revolution, also called the Great October Socialist Revolution, Lenin would start to use what was called repression against any enemies of the Bolsheviks. It also would instill fear and help with social control, especially during the Red Terror, a campaign of political repression and executions. This would continue under Stalin growing stronger and more intense. 
the Great Terror would have, for the first time, members of the ruling party on a huge scale victims of the repression. 1936 to 1938, three huge Moscow trials of former Communist Party leaders were conducted. They were accused of conspiring with fascists and meeting with capitalist powers to have Stalin and other Soviet leaders assassinated. They were also accused of wanting the, to dismember the Soviet Union and gain back and restore capitalism. The trials were hot topic and publicly covered even by the outside world. People watched in awe as Lenin's closest confidence confessed to unbelievable crimes and begging, yes begging, not for mercy, but for death sentences. August 1936, the first trial of 16 members were conducted. The chief defendants were Gregory Senoviev and Lev Kanenviev. These two were the most prominent former party leaders. They were members of the conspiratorial bloc which opposed Stalin, but what they were accused of have done was hugely exaggerated. Accusations to them was Kiev's assassination and plotting to kill Stalin. Once they all confessed, they were sentenced to death and immediately executed. January 1937, the second trial was conducted with 17 lesser known figures. These included Karl Radek, a Marxist activist in Polish and Germany social democratic movements. Yuri Piatavov, leader of the Bolsheviks. And Gregory Skokolinivokov, who was a Russian old Bolshevik revolutionary. They all were accused of links to Trotsky, who was allegedly conspiring with Germany. 13 of the 17 were executed by shooting, and the remaining sent to labor camps. Soon, they died there. In June 1937, a secret trial was held in front of a military tribunal of the Red Army commanders. The confessions that were given are not known to have been given willingly. It's taught a lot of psychological pressure and torture was inflicted on the defendants to encourage a confession. A former OGPU officer, Alex Arlov, and others gave accounts about methods used to extract confessions, like beatings, drownings, standing for days, not sleeping for days, and threats to not only arrest their families, but execute them too. Sinofif and Kamenev would try bargain, requesting if they confessed to such accusations, they would receive a guarantee from the Politburo to spare their lives and the lives of the families. This was actually accepted, at least for the moment, and the men were taken to a Politburo meeting, but only Stalin, Clement Voliskolov, who was a Soviet military officer, and Yesov was there. Stalin claimed the Politburo had authorized them to be the commission, and he insisted no death sentence would happen. A trial of such was done there and then, resulting in Stalin breaking the no death deal, arresting most of the men's family, relatives, and friends, having them shot.
May 1937, the Dewey Commission, or the Commission of Inquiry into the charges made against Leon Trotsky in the Moscow trials was set up in the US by supporters of Trotsky to find out the truth regarding the trials. Headed by John Dewey, an American philosopher and educator, the hearing were very one-sided to prove Trotsky's innocence, but they did show some charges and accusations made at the trials weren't true. An example of this was Gregory Patatokov. He testified that in December 1935, he flew to Oslo to, quote, receive terrorist instructions, end quote, from Trotsky. But the Dewey Commission found there was no such flight. Ivan Smirnov testified he took part in the assassination of Sergei Kiev in December 1934, but the Dewey Commission found he was in jail at the time. Eventually, the Dewey Report would publish a book called Not Guilty, a 422-page book of their findings. It would find all those condemned in the Moscow trials were innocent. They found no attempt was made to find the truth, the confessions they found did not represent the truth, and Trotsky never instructed any of the accused or witnessed witnesses to enter into agreement with foreign powers to throw the USSR and that Trotsky never recommended, plotted or tried to restore capitalism in the USSR. The commission concluded, quote, we therefore find the Moscow trials to be a frame-up, end quote. A third and final trial happened March 1938, called the Trial of the 21, and it's the most famous of the Soviet show trials mainly because of those involved and the charges that tied them together. The title of the trial might give it away, but if not, there was 21 defendants alleged to be part of the bloc of rightists and Trotskyists, supposedly led by Nikolai Bukharin, a former chairman of the Communist International. Now, an opposition bloc led by Trotsky did actually exist, but Pierre Bury and French historian assessed that Brookerin was not involved. Bury had an ally called Jules Humbert Dross, and his and his personal writings, he'd say Nikolai Brookerin did not have a secret block with Gregory Zinovich and Leo Kemerud from the first trials in order to have Stalin removed. The fact that Yogoda a secret police officer who served as director of the NKVD was one of the accused, showed the speed of the purge consuming all and everyone, even their own. Now it was said that Bukharin and others did seek from 1918 to assassinate Lenin and Stalin, poison Russian writer and activist Maximum Gorky partition to the USSR and hand territories to Germany, Japan and the UK. Allegations were becoming more and more weird. The purge grew to include almost all living old Bolshevik leaders except Stalin and Mikhail Kalinin. Western intellectuals were captivated by the trial and execution of Bukharin who was a Marxist theorist of international standing. 
the Bukharin trial marked a final straw to some communists, turning some into anti-communists. Bukharin confessions to them symbolized the depredation of communism. Day one of the trial caused a stir when Kersky denied his writing confession pleading not guilty to charges. But the next day he changed his plea after some special measures were done. Special measures that had his left shoulder dislocated among other injuries. Bukharin was claimed not to have been tortured, but since then it was found out his interrogations were given approval for beatings and were under huge pressure to get a confession from the star defendant. Three months Bukharin held firm, but the beatings, threats to his family and what was called physical influence wore him down. He would confess. It was amended and corrected by Stalin. But then Bukharin withdrew the confession entirely. This had it all start again with double the interrogation teams involved. Bukharin's confession would be highly debated in the Western world. His confession was different to others. He'd plead guilty to some crimes, but denied knowledge to specific ones. Romain Roland, a French Nobel Prize for Literature winner, wrote to Stalin to call for clemency for Bukharin but all defendants were executed, all except three. But these three would be killed in the NKVD prisoner massacre of 1941. Before his death, Bukharin was promised his family would be spared, but his wife, Anna, was sent to a labor camp. She did survive and in 1988, witnessed her husband's postmortemly rehabilitated 50 years later by Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet state leader. July 2, 1937, a top secret order came to the regional party and NKVD chiefs. Stalin gave specific instructions of a number he wanted within districts of kulaks and criminals. These people were to be arrested, executed or sent to the gulag camps. The chiefs did as they were told, producing lists within days. July 30th, NKVD ordered number 00447, signed by Nikolai Yeshov, approved by the Politburo, was issued. The order was directed against ex-Kulags and other anti-Soviets, like former officials of the Tsarist regime. The order was to execute or send to the Gulag prison camps. Categories for those to track down included ex-Gulags who were in Siberia, Pakistan or the far north, former Tsarist civil servants, former officers of the White Army, those who took part in peasant rebellion, members of the clergy, those deprived of voting rights, former members of the Bolshevik parties, ordinary criminals and those known to have, quote, socially harmful elements, end quote. A large number of arrests happened in random sweeps or because they were related to, friends with or knew someone already arrested. Engineers, peasants, railwaymen and others were arrested in the Kulak operations just because they worked for or near important sites. 
In this period, NKVD reopened these cases and renamed them sabotage or reckons. Orthodox clergy and parishioners were practically annihilated. 85% of 35,000 members of the clergy was arrested. There was also special settlers, those under permanent police surveillance. They made up a big pool of enemies. At least 100,000 of them were arrested in the Great Terror. Common criminals were dealt with in similar ways. In just Moscow, one third of 21,000, so about 7,000, were executed in Butovo firing range charged with non-political criminal offences. To carry out such huge arrests, 25,000 officers of state security personnel, or NKVD, were mixed with units of ordinary police. The Com Som All, which is a political youth organization, and the Civilian Communist Party members. This group was under huge pressure to meet quotas, so they would enter markets and train stations to round up people claiming to arrest social outcasts. Local NKVD groups, to meet their numbers or casework as it was called, they would force confessions from those arrested. They would do long interrogations with torture and beatings to encourage confessions. In a lot of cases, the arrested were made to sign blank pages, later being filled with lies called a confession by their interrogators. After all these interrogations, the files went to NKVD Troikas, who would give a verdict even in the absence of the accused. In a half day, the Troika went through a case, went through hundreds of cases, giving either a death sentence or gulag labor camp sentence. Death sentences were immediately enforced. Ex executions happened at night, either in the prison or a secluded area run by the NKVD. The gulag operation was the largest campaign of the repression. 1937 to 1938, nearly 670,000 were arrested and 376,000 executed, which is more than half of the total known executions. 1937 to 1938, mass operations by the NKVD happened by targeting specific nationalities in the Soviet Union. This order was given by Nikolai Yezhov, the largest of these were that of the Polish. It claimed the largest of NKVD victims, 144,000 arrests and 110 executed according to records. Of the Polish operations, 85,000 were ethnic Poles. The rest were suspected Polish. 12.5% of those killed in the terror were Polish and they only made up 0.4% of the population. 74% of ethnic minorities arrested in the Great Terror were executed compared to the Kulak operations, which was about 50%. Although this could be giant to the fact that the Gulag camps were full to the rafters at the later stages of the purge. NKVD Order Number 00486 was to deal with wives and children of the arrested and executed. 
The women were sent to forced labor for five to ten years. Minor children went to orphanages. All possessions were taken from them. Extended relatives were left with nothing to live on, which usually led to death. 200,000 to 250,000 with Polish backgrounds were affected. NKVD national operations were conducted using the quota system called album procedures. Officials were ordered to arrest and execute a set number of quote counter revolutionaries end quote using various statistics and a telephone book with names sounding non-Russian. The purge happened in the Red Army too and in the military maritime fleet removing three of five marshals, 13 of 15 army commanders, eight of nine admirals, 50 of 57 army corps commanders, 154 of 186 division commanders, 16 of 16 army commissioners, and 25 of 28 army corps commissioners. At least, at first, it was thought that 25 to 50 percent of Red Army officials were purged. The real number is not truly known, but it's thought to be much lower at 3 to 7 percent. 30 percent of officers purged from 1937 to 1938 were allow allowed to return to services. The purge of the army was claimed to have support by German forged documents. This, though, is unsupported by the facts. By the time the documents were allegedly created, two of eight in the Tokarczewski group were imprisoned, and by the time the documents were claimed to have reached Stalin, the purge was already happening. The purge also had a big effect in Germany, deciding in World War II. Many German generals all said not to invade Russia. But Hitler, he disagreed, saying the Red Army was weakened since its leaders were eliminated in the purge. Eventually, most of the Bolsheviks, who had prominent roles in the Russian Revolution 1917, or were in Lenin's government, all were executed. The six members of the original Politburo in the 1917 October Revolution who lived until the purge, only Stalin remained in the Soviet Union alive. Four of the other five were executed and the fifth, Leon Trotsky, was forced into hiding and was assassinated in 1940 in Mexico by a Soviet agent, Ramon Mercader. Of the seven members elected to Politburo between October Revolution to Lenin's death in 1924, four were executed, one committed suicide, and two lived. 1920s and 30s, 2000 writers, intellectuals, and artists were in prison. 1500 died in prison and labor camps. 1936 to 1938, 27 astronomers disappeared. Meteorological office was hit hard by the purge for failing to predict weather that would cause damage to crops. Writers, though, were the hardest hit. Poet Ossip Mandelstam 
was arrested in 1934 as he recited his famous anti-Stalin poem, Stalin Epigram, to a group of friends. Stalin instructed NKVD to isolate him but preserve him, and he was exiled for three years. May 1938, he was arrested again, this time for counter-revolutionary activities. August 2nd, he was sentenced to five years in a correction camp. He died December 1938 at a transit camp. Writer Isaac Babel arrested May 1939. His blood-stained confession admitted to being a member of Tarasky's organization and recruited a French spy by French writer Malraux. He would retract writing letters to prosecutors, claiming he implemented innocent people, but nothing happened. He was convicted of spying for the French, Austrian and Trotsky. January 27, 1940, he was executed by shooting. Writer Boris Palenikyak, arrested October 28, 1937, for counter-revolutionary activities, spying and terrorism. He was condemned to death and executed shortly after. Vesvolod Marhold. A theatre director was arrested in 1939 for being a spy for the Japanese and the British. He was shot to death in February 1940. His wife, Sinadia, an actress, was found murdered in their apartment. Poet Tissisian Tabizi, arrested October 10, 1937, charged with treason and tortured in prison. He was executed December 1937. Paolo Isel Billy, another poet, he is forced to denounce many associates as enemies of the people. He couldn't take what he, he announced and he killed himself. He was a witness to the public trials and even was made to take part, which ousted many of his associates, basically condemning him to death. One of his denouncing was Tabisi, or he was to face arrest and torture. This was what he couldn't take, and this is what made him end his life. Poet Pavel Nikolaevic Vasilevi defended Nikolai Burkinin in 1937 at the time of his trial, which was the second Moscow trial. He was shot July 16, 1937. Jan Sten, philosopher and deputy head of Marx Engels Institute, he was Stalin's private tutor when Stalin was studying. Sten would become a member of an underground opposition group, later joining the bloc of Soviet oppositions, which was led by Trotsky. Stalin gave direct orders to get Sten, which happened in 1937. June 19th of the same year, he was sentenced to death. Nikolai Kaluvi. A poet was arrested in 1933 for contradicting Soviet ideology. He was shot October 1937. Nikolai Dernova, a Russian linguist and part of a very prominent family, he was executed October 1937. Sergei Shavin, a Marie poet and playwright, was executed in November 1937. 
Les Kerbas, Ukrainian theatre and movie director, was shot in November 1937 as well. Maximilian Kravikov, Russian writer and explorer, was charged with alleged participation in Japanese SR terrorist subversive espionage organisation. He was executed October 1937. These are just a few of the poets and writers that were executed in the purge. Victims of the terror also included American immigrants who came to the Soviet Union when the Great Depression hit to find work. When it came out that the American immigrants were being targeted, they stormed the US Embassy begging and pleading for passports to leave. But the embassy didn't help, turning them away. And once outside, the Americans were arrested by NKVD agents who stalked the embassy. Many were shot at the Butovo firing range. Politburo prisoners already at the Gulag camps were executed in huge numbers. In the late 30s, Stalin sent NKVD operatives to Mongolia People's Republic. They executed tens of thousands accused of being tied to pro-Japanese spirings. 18,000 Buddhist lamas were killed in the terror. Mass graves holding Buddhist monks and civilians who were executed was found in 2003. Summer 1938, Yeshoff was removed from the head of NKVD. He was trialled and executed. Lavrentili Barina would now be the NKVD head. He would eventually cancel most of NKVD orders of repression and suspended death sentences. A decree of Sovnarkom, USSR and Central Committee of VKP would come about November 1938. This would move the end of the massive Soviet purges. When relatives of those executed in a purge sought about information, the NKVD said they were doing a 10-year sentence and couldn't have contact. When the time elapsed and the family looked again for information, they asked the MGB and they were told that their relatives had died in prison. The trials were publicised, but the arrests and executions were not. The West only became aware of them when former Gulag inmates came to the West and told their stories. Many correspondents of the West failed to report the purges. France in particular tried to silence the witnesses. A series of legal actions began from this. It validated the former camp inmates' testimonies. Evidence and research would appear after Stalin's death. This would reveal the true extent of the purge. The Great Purge was denounced by Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev after Stalin's death. Khrushchev would say the purges were abuse of power by Stalin, which massively harmed the country. He made acknowledgement that many victims were innocent and convicted on false confessions extracted by torture. Starting from 1954, some of the convictions were overturned. Mikhail Tukhachevsky and other generals convicted in the trials of Red Army generals were declared innocent in 1957. In the 50s, Politburo former members Jan Rychitak and Stanislav Kosovo 
were declared innocent along with many lower-level victims. Nikolai Prokhorin, convicted in the Moscow trials, wasn't declared innocent until late 1988. Leon Trotsky, a huge purlayer in the Russian Revolution, a major contributor to Marxist theory, was never declared innocent by the USSR. Figures officially stand at 681,692 documented executions from 37 to 38 in the Gulag, 116,000 deaths and 2,000 unofficial killed in shootings. The true number of deaths is thought to be more 950,000 to 1.2 million from executions, deaths in detentions and deaths after the Gulag due to the treatment they received. Robert Conquest, a British historian and poet, said the falsification of lower execution numbers were done by heightened executions as 10-year sentences with no correspondence. This sentence nearly always meant execution. All the bodies in the mass graves of Feninista and Kerpotai were all given this sentence. Historians would find from having access to files that Stalin was deeply involved in the purge. We know he signed Yesov's list, but he also gave instructions regarding certain individuals. In 1937, he signed 357 lists, and in 1938, he authorized executions of 40,000 people. It's very possible Yesov misled Stalin about the purge process. Many at the time said the Great Purge wasn't started by Stalin and that the idea of the purge just got out of hand. Stalin is noted to have objected to the large number of people Yesov was purging. At least two Soviet commissions looked at the show trials after Stalin's death. The first commission was from 1956 to 1957. It would fail to fully find all innocent in the three Moscow trials but the final report would have a mission that the accusations had not been proven in the trials and the so-called evidence was got by lies, blackmail and torture. The second commission, 1961-1963, to it produced two huge reports detailing the mechanisms of falsification of the show trials. The commission based its findings largely on eyewitness testimonies of former NKVD workers and victims. The commission this time said all to be declared innocent except Radic, as his material needed more checking and Yogodo as he was one of the falsifiers of the trials. In the late 80s the Memorial Society was created. At this time Gorbachev's glass knock or openness and transparency meant you could now speak about the Great Terror and locate killing grounds of 1937-38, to 38, which meant those buried could be identified. After the Soviet Union collapsed, many more mass graves of executed victims of the terror were discovered and turned into memorial sites. Fields in Kiev are said to have 200,000 bodies in a mass grave. 2007, a Butovo firing range near Moscow was turned into a shrine to the victims of Stalinism. 
1937-38, over 20,000 were shot and buried there. October 30, 2017 President Putin opened the Wall of Sorrow in recognition of the crimes of the Soviet regime. An official but very controversial recognition. The Great Purge, its purpose, scale and mechanism has been debated for years. One reason is that Stalin's regime needed to maintain the citizens in a state of fear to stay in power. The Great Purge would do that. Two major lines of interpretation have emerged. One argues the purge reflected Stalin's ambitions, his paranoia, and inner drive to increase his power and eliminate rivals. Some say rivals exploited Stalin's paranoia and used terror to enhance their own position. Robert Thurston, a US historian, reports that the purge was not intended to subdue the Soviet masses, many of whom helped enact the purge, but to deal with opposition to Stalin's rule among the Soviet elites. The reason as to why doesn't erase what was done, tens of thousands of innocent people killed in horrific ways for no reason. And that is the Great Terror, also known as the Great Purge. Thanks for listening. Next time we'll be looking at the Cheshire family murders, happening July 23rd, 2007. Joshua Thomas Orgesjetsky and Stephen Hayes invaded the home of the Petit family in Cheshire, Connecticut. Dr. William Petit was badly injured. His wife and two daughters were murdered. It was said to be, quote, the possibly the most widely publicized crime in the state's history, end quote. Until then, this was the good, the bad, and the pure evil.